Hey everyone, welcome back to the Improv TX Comedy Network. If this is your first time checking out the podcast network, we appreciate it. Please head over to your favorite podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, or iTunes, and give the Improv TX Comedy Network a like. And just a reminder, the Improv TX Comedy Network is live on YouTube with all your favorite comedians on the Improv stage. All links can be found in the description. And with that, on to the podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the act out from open mic to the big stage. Comedians tell us how stories were made. I'm your host, Doug. Today, we have an awesome guest. I'm super excited to have this guy on. Hilarious comedian, kills it on stage, great stage presence, always awesome. Love your writing, hands down. One of my favorites in DFW. First time I saw you on stage, I actually was at an open mic. And my thought was, this guy is too good for open mic. Nah, so, really? Yeah, it That's was funny. awesome, dude. It was awesome. <laughs> was that here at the improv? It was or? here, and but of course, it was an open mic, so th- no one was getting laughs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, you got a couple chuckles, and I uh, was like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. But I was like, this set is way too good for this stage uh, right now, because it, it, an open mic, it's way too good for the open mic stage, I should say. But like, you sent me a video earlier where you're crushing it. Like, I was like, fuck yeah, because I've never seen you live on stage before, so. I've gotten very good at putting fake laughs in those clips. Man. Yeah, there yeah. you go. That's yeah. what you got to do, just layer, man. That's the secret in comedy, perfect the fake laughs. Absolutely. Also has an amazing podcast called Crooks, Yeah! You've Which is on so it. much fun to say. We got Crux Crawford. How you doing, sir? What's up, man? Very happy to be here. I love this podcast, man. I've listened to at least five, six, seven of these episodes. Thank Angela you. Walker, Shiva, a little bit of a dud. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Shiva's one of my close friends. I love all these fucking podcasts, man. I think it's great what you're doing. I love the network, you know, this Improv Texas Comedy Network. You're putting a lot of work in, man. It's not going on. It's great. I love it, dude. Yeah. I love these episodes. I love the whole fucking thing. So, yeah, let's talk about how long you've been in the game. How long has it been? Dude, I'll tell you, man. So I am a total new Jack. This month, exactly in June of 2023, is going to be two years. Two years? This is two years. I thought you have been doing it for like five or six or seven at least. I really appreciate that, man. But I'm being perfectly honest, dude. Uh, This month in June of 2023 is two years. My first time I went up. And I'll clarify on that in a second. Not to spend a million years on it, but bottom line is the first time I went up this time doing stand-up comedy, you know, doing like 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 plus mics a week, like working, bombing, doing well, fixing, writing, adapting, blah, 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 trying to get shows. My first set, uh, first time I went up was at the Arlington Improv when they were doing Tuesday's Test Your Mic mm-hmm. right before it went on a big hiatus. So just by pure coincidence, I got selected. I submitted online. And um, I got a – and Joel put me up. You know, Junebug put me up. And that was like the last one for like months and months and months and months. Now, now they've been doing it again for about a year, but like they didn't do it for like eight or nine months. And I just by pure luck just got in on that last Test Your Mic oh, wow. before they went dark, right? Uh, so that was my first time getting up. And then, you know, I just hit, you know, all the other my hyenas, all the other Dallas Fort Worth mics, you know, jumped in with both feet and shit. I did like, I tried stand up comedy, you know, when I was super, super young in 2012. You know, I just did like a couple open mics, you know, I did the usual thing because I was, I'm, I'm from Los Angeles. I was in LA and I did like, you know, uh, the Ha Ha Cafe and the comedy store. I had like the third open mic I ever did. You know, I tried to go in the comedy store. I didn't understand there's a million people trying to get, yeah. on, get on the list, didn't get up. I did the same thing at the Laugh Factory. Like, I just didn't understand there's people waiting out there since 8 o'clock in the morning. I was doing the dumb new guy shit. Yeah. Like, the ignorant thing where it's like, well, I'm going to go to the best clubs <laughs> to be horrible at comedy and have no set at all. It's like, yeah, that's a great idea. So then I went to some shittier open mics where I belonged, right? And I did those. <laughs> <laughs> 
and I bombed at a couple of them, right? You know, I had all this material prepared, and of course, I thought like, oh, this is great, dude. I'm doing original shit that no one's ever talked about before, yeah. dude. I'm going to talk about Super Mario Brothers. I'm going to talk about uh, being tall. It's like, dude, all these just horrible like things. It's like, bro, everybody's trying to talk about that. It's like I didn't understand yet. You're supposed to talk about yourself. But whatever, bottom line is I did a couple of mics. Then I did Ha Ha Cafe open mic, and I just, for some reason, I don't even remember the dumb stuff I said, but I, I had a good set, right? So this guy came up to me afterwards that I found out is still working today. He actually opens for Nick Schwartzen now, but like back 10 years ago, this dude <clears throat> was like, hey, man, that was pretty funny. Do you want to do my, my showcase show at a bar, right? So he booked me on a show after my thir- third open mic set or whatever, right? Wow. So then I was thinking, obviously, I was dumb. Like I was thinking to myself, young, super young, dumb, like being like, this is how it's done, bro. You know, this is easy, bro. <laughs> I'm heading to the stars. I'm going to have a special like in a few months, dude. You know, yeah. Fuck, I go do that. It was a bar show in Hollywood is what it was. I went and did that bar show and just completely bombed and was just like, dude, forget this. I'm done. Yeah. You know, I'm done. And I walked away and I had a bunch of priorities. It wasn't the right time. It wasn't the right time to make the commitment that you need to make when you're doing stand-up comedy. You know what I mean? That everybody knows you need to that actually does it. So that doesn't count. I don't count that. That was like a month of doing five open mics in a bar show that I bombed at. Yeah. That doesn't count. So did the bar show bombing, did that, that really set you back though? Do it, you did, think? it depressed me. Like I went outside and like, I just was, I was like talking to like, just listening to a bunch of comics talk. And I just was kind of evaluating the amount of time I needed to dedicate at that point in time. And I was just like, dude, I don't think that I'm ready to really just fully dive into this the way that I know that I need to. Because mm-hmm. I was looking around and I was seeing how all these working comics were just like in L.A. were just completely immersed in it. And I was thinking to myself like, nah, dude, this isn't the right time. I can't. You know what I mean? So it just wasn't the right time. where, Because I, I knew what needed to be done. I've always had a huge respect. I've always been a big stand-up comedy nerd. So I knew what was needed, right? I knew that it wasn't for me at that time. So this time, 2021, I was like, dude. I know what it takes, and I'm ready to do that. <laughs> and then COVID. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, luckily, it was in the middle of that. And unfortunately, in Texas, unlike California, it's just in comparison, which is wide open. Yeah. Everything going on. It's leveled out, and certain things have normalized a lot since I started two years ago as far as COVID and things being normal and things being open. But still, there was a lot of options. There were a lot of mics. And I knew it's like, dude, I need to dive in. I need to go and just be awful. Yeah. Like a bunch of times in a row and not do well and just eat it over and over until I could start developing, like pay attention to what works, pay attention to what doesn't work, fix it, change it, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I've just been doing that. I did like, you know, tons of open mics a week, like 12 plus open mics a week, nonstop for months and months. Started to get a little notice, started to get a couple of guest spots here and there. And then I did well in those guest spots. Then I started to get legit spots on shows like bar shows, et cetera, in a town, out of town. A couple comics have helped me out. Casey Coleman, Paul Smith, you know, Mikey B. A bunch of people have helped me out, like, and just because they saw that I was working. They saw that I was working on getting better, so they gave me little opportunities, and then it built up from there. And, you know, and then I started getting club spots, and, you know, just kind of, it's just been snowballing. And recently it goes a full circle. You work with Pauly Shore. Dude, so that's full funny. circle. Yeah, that's full, full circle. circle. The comedy store, yeah. Well, you you come from the world of being a musician too, yep. right? Yeah. So what do you what do you play? What is your instrument? So plays? I played drums for twelve years, right? So like when I was a little kid, like 10, 11, like I started playing drums. Um, and then I was fully invested in trying to be like a drummer, like specifically like a metal drummer for like all of like middle school and high school. Dude, I wanted to be like Lars from Metallica, I wanted to be like Abe Cunningham from the Deftones, I wanted to be like Vinnie Paul from Pantera. I got a um Pearl like Black Pearl Export series eventually. It wasn't the first drum kit I got but it was like the second or third like serious drum kit I got once my parents were like oh shit 
this guy's like dedicated this guy's like really playing drums so i got like a double kick uh pearl export series nice. black because that's the that's the same drum kit that vinnie paul played so i wanted to play that and then i had a snare drum that was a thomas star classic snare which is the same snare that both lars from metallica used at the time and then also abe cunningham from the deftones used at the time so it's like i got yeah. that snare with this drum kit so I was like a drummer. I was playing six, eight hours a day, practicing Slayer, Slipknot, Pantera, you know, all these bands, like just playing along with the songs. And then I joined bands, like when I was 17, 18, I started joining a bunch of metal and hardcore bands and playing drums, uh, doing the road, touring around, you know, like playing, like with bands, like because I was playing with guys that were older than me. Then I uh, I did it in a couple bands for years, you know, and just uh, doing small tours, bands that no one cared about like projects that really end up going nowhere you, you record eps and mm -hmm. cds and stuff you put them out and like you get a couple people that are interested but otherwise it's nothing you're not making it. then i became the vocalist in a couple metalcore bands oh and, shit yeah that was a little bit more successful i was in this band called end of expectations we opened for like a lot of metalcore bands you know like as i lay dying Dead wars probably we opened for a lot of people on the roads like that that was a lot more momentum like we like signed little autographs have a small little group of fans was this before you tried the comedy in 2012 yeah, before so you've been on stage as front and center of the stage yep. you've been up there so you probably thought that confidence would transfer over to comedy in some yep. way and, and, the, and the stage presence i think definitely has because a lot of people like shiva like when i was brand new like he saw me at hyenas open mic and then i got off stage and he's like well you got stage presence yeah absolutely <laughs> like, yeah not much else but you got stage <laughs> <laughs> no, you definitely have that. You have that kinetic energy when you're mm -hmm. on stage where you kind of like to move around the stage and kind of like that, get ready for it. Yeah, so. ADD. Do you know Rob Ross? Mm -mm. You don't know who Rob Ross is? No. Oh, okay, he's been doing comedy for a long time. He Mainly on the Fort Worth side of things, I guess. But he was saying that, like, I did this uh, open mic at this. It doesn't exist anymore, but it was Bodega open mic in Fort Worth. He came up. I was doing it. I was just on stage saying horrible whatever stuff. But at the end of the day, at the end of my set, he came up and went, okay, so you've definitely done some kind of public speaking or some kind of <laughs> entertainment before because you're very comfortable talking to a group of people comedy is awful but you're good at talking to <laughs> no he didn't say that but <laughs> who is it ross who rob ross rob ross no yeah. i've never met you don't rob know rob ross, ross? cool no. dude cool dude veteran comedian in the dfw comedy scene i think he took a break for a while but people like that are like that have been in the game for a long time like june bug people know him yeah. Know who he is. Well, like you said, there's also a divide. There's a Fort Worth side and there's a uh, a Dallas side when it comes to comedy. So when I go over to Fort Worth and do open mics, it's a completely different set of comedians. I'm always like shocked by who I meet over there. It's, but it's kind of cool that it's divided that way. You were playing music. When did you decide to kind of give that up or are you still doing that? No, I'm still doing it, man. Still doing it. I, I took a break from it for a few years because I was like, dude, I'm just kind of done with this stuff. Like, you know, I want to make some money. I never grew up with money. You know what I mean? So I started selling cars. I started doing really well with that, making a lot of money, dude. You know, I, I did that for a few years. Met my girlfriend, who's now my wife. Like, you know, I really, uh, like, you know, fell in love with her. So I was really interested in making that relationship work. Like, I really wanted to, like, be with her. Like, not just, like, date or mess around. I really wanted to, like, have a relationship. So I really wanted to invest time in that. I really wanted to make some money. So I took a few years break. Then, then a buddy of mine... Um, who's been one of my best friends that was the lead guitar player in one of those metalcore bands that we used to tour and play with. We got back in touch after a few years, and he's he was working uh, for Stevie Oki's record label at the time for Dimmock. 
Um, and he, he just recently left. He's been working there for years. But we got together and we're like, dude, let's, you know what? Let's get together. Let's start sharing some files back and forth. Let's go to each other's apartments and start making some music. So we started this project called We Are the Flesh a couple years ago. And we just started putting out like, uh, we did like Walking Dead songs, like metal songs based on Negan from Walking, the, Walking Dead. And that's when the show was really popular. This was a few years ago. Uh, and people really loved it. It blew up all over Facebook. And we got a bunch of hits and a bunch of plays. And people were like, dude, do more songs. Then we did a song about the purge. Uh, that got really popular. Um, you know, so all those songs have like millions of plays now on Spotify and oh, like wow. everywhere else. So then we started really taking it seriously and just putting out songs consistently all the time. We started the trap metal thing was starting to get really popular like a few years ago. So we kind of just kind of fell into that. Luckily started making songs with that sound when that was kind of blowing up. So we got some, some tracks that really blew up off of that. So long, long story short, we have fans with that project. You know, we got like 50, 60,000 monthly listeners on Spotify Damn. all the time. Yeah. Catalog has like eight, 10 million plays or some shit. So it's a decent sized band. You know what I mean? Um, we used to play live before the pandemic. Now we don't, we still get offers, but it's gotta be worth it. It's yeah. gotta make sense. Cause now we don't both live in Los Angeles anymore. Obviously I live in Dallas, Fort Worth, and then he lives in Arizona. So it's gotta make sense for both of us to travel and stuff, but we still put out uh, releases regularly. We're still, you know, uh, we still, you know, get royalties off of it and all that stuff. So, so do you, do you play the actual drums or you program them? Uh, all the drums now are programmed. Mm -hmm. Luckily, dude, where it is with technology, like for anybody that knows like how music production works now in 2023 and for the past few years, it's so amazing, dude. You can make, you can have, like the only thing you really need, and I mean, technically you could argue that you don't even need this anymore, but you, you do need some kind of song, songwriting and artistry. The only thing you really need is vocals. Like yeah. you need ideas. You just need somebody to come up with the compositions. The the drums, the bass, the guitar, the um, you can program all that in and make it sound so good now through the different uh filters and different plugins that you can literally just sound like you have a full five-piece band behind yeah. you uh when it's all the computer that's know? what my friend we played in a band years ago and he says to me he goes hey how about you play the drums again i'm like okay cool he goes well you gotta get this program so you can pro i'm like wait why am i playing the drums no, it's like, no you're programming them that's what you're yeah. gonna do but it, it, you're right it, it all sounds amazing now so it's you it's could not tell cool. the difference yes. you cannot tell the difference by just listening to a recording going is this a real band playing this or was this completely programmed and just somebody who isn't you do have to be a musician that understands how the things are supposed to sound so you can write them mm -hmm. like that's what i do with drums a lot when we're working together like i played drums for 12 years of my life so i know drums very well like i guess still get behind a kit and, and play so like i know like what's supposed to happen here what's symbol what instrument what part you're supposed to hit with this you know what i mean so yeah and so do you have any plans to play out at any point not maybe right you know but we're, we're continuing to re release music now the way the music industry has kind of changed is like you do performances like a la carte and like huge bands that were big before the internet still tour obviously like metallica still tours every year like you know motley crew has toured and stuff and like but like, uh, you know, rappers, doesn't matter what genre, like everybody kind of bases a tour around social media and around Spotify now. So they look at, you look at your numbers, you look at where you're big, you look at where you have the most plays, you look at where you have the most listeners, all the backend data gives you access to that. And then you plan your live performances around oh, that. Oh, that's so yeah. cool. Yeah. So you can do that. But honestly, the cool thing, man, is like, cause in the early mid two thousands, the industry lost a bunch of money cause people stopped buying CDs and they started downloading music. And at the, at that time it was, you could download music for free, yeah. right? That was just how you do it. You download it off Napster, you download off LimeWire, you download off Kazaa or whatever, you know? And that was kind of how it was. You burned it on CDs or you put it on your iPod. And for years, that's how people did it, right? Because that's how young people listened to music from like 2000 to 2000. 10 or 12 or something then when streaming start when the bandwidth was there when technology started to take 
be available for everybody on smartphones to be having to have an Apple Music, to have a Spotify where you can just stream everything live no matter where you are in the world. Now the music industry has figured out to start make, trying to make money again. So people complain about like, well, you only get fractions of pennies per play, and that's nothing compared to how it used to be. It's like, bro, it's a lot better than 2002 when people were making no money. Yeah, absolutely. Like in 2005, if you're trying to be in a band and 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 you were just assuming that you were going to make zero money off of the plays, you put your stuff on MySpace, and then like you hoped you got a bunch of plays so you could get enough attention to get signed and go on a tour, but you got like no royalties because no one was buying music. No one's right. paying. Now you get like, dude, we get money every month deposited directly for royalties on Spotify, oh, on Apple crazy. and everywhere. And musicians are making money off of that. So anybody that you see that has five figure, six figure uh, level of monthly listeners on Spotify in the music industry. Now you can rest assured that uh, now granted who knows like who's songwriting, who knows how it's getting split up, but you can rest assured that that artist as a franchise is getting a good chunk of money deposited into their account every month. Right. So. And and uh, my friend who does music right now, he's an indie folk uh, artist. He's making money off of playing small shows, and he's making good money right now. And, he, you know, we talk about his social media following needs to bump up. Because even in comedy, that's honestly, folks, listen, social media matters. Uh, so whenever that gets bumped up, it works. So they will book people based on their social media following. Now, the problem is most of those people don't have the chops to carry a show. So you do have to have the talent and sure. the time put in, but like social media following, it's huge. It it's is huge. Such, it's, it's such a big thing right now. Well, and the cool thing, going back to bandwidth, the cool thing, because I used to be one of those people forever, like even when I was like super, super young, right? Like I used to always be like, dude, social media is stupid. It's BS. It's not real. Like I, everybody that's on there is fake. Everybody who's big on it is fake. I think maybe that used to be true at one point in time. You could argue that either way. But now I have a completely different perception. Because now that I'm putting out podcasts, now that I'm putting out content on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, uh, Facebook, um, the cool thing now where we are is technology and bandwidth is there to the point where you can put stuff out in real time uh, with, with your own equipment and you can, you can really make it your own. You can really – just like in comedy, you find your own voice or like as a band or a, or a rapper or whatever, you develop your own sound and your own voice on the mic uh, – the same it goes with content creation. You just you have to do you have to fail and copy other ideas and do things that aren't that successful that people don't think are that great and it doesn't go viral and flops. You got to do that, right? It's kind of like going to open mics, right? Right. But you can. The cool thing is, dude, your only limitation with doing like all social media now and putting out content, especially as like a comedian or a performer, your only limitation is your imagination. Like so you can put out stuff and, and you don't have to do, if you think something's corny that somebody else is doing, you don't like it. You don't have to do that. You can find your own complete. It just takes some work and some trial and error and you can find your own voice. Right. And once you find that one thing, the thing is that you build a base. That's what I always tell everyone, like start making your content, start creating a base of videos or podcasts or whatever it is. Because John Mulaney said the first 10 of anything is terrible. And I truly believe that's true. So like the first 10 of your podcast, they're going to suck. The first 10 times you go on stage, you're, you're going to be terrible. Or you might get lucky and you catch the bug and do well, like you said, like in 2012 when you did it. But it's a matter of consistently going up and putting out and just working on stuff nonstop. Yeah, so, 100%. And you build that base of videos and eventually – it's going to find the crowd. The algorithm is going to work with you. Like you said, you had luck with the, the walking dead, you know, thing. And then from there, you probably had a base of stuff, I'm guessing. So mm -hmm. that probably went from there. And then you're like, okay, this works. Let's do another cover. Yeah. Let's work on this. So 
It's genius. I I guess we should get back to comedy. I yeah, love yeah, talking yeah. about we this. Bored yeah, yeah. Off. Sorry, yeah, no, no, no. Sorry, everybody. Yeah, no, that was fun. Uh, all right. So, when you were a kid, were you the funny kid? Um, yes, but not like intentionally or not trying to be like I'm going to be the funny guy. I'm going to be the class clown. I was never that guy. I was more like the kid that got kicked out of class for like pushing it too far. Oh shit! You know, like like irritating the teacher or trying to get attention. You know, I was a child of divorce, dude. I had super ADD. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and um, I wasn't interested in really what was going on most of the time. I got bored easily. So I would just like act out and try to act out for attention. And sometimes teachers would tolerate it. Sometimes I would push their limit and be like, no, nah, <laughs> go to the office, get out of here, you know? So like I was that kid a lot, especially in elementary school. What was the worst thing you ever did? The worst thing I did? Yeah. Um, I think I like grabbed this kid's nuts at the water fountain. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I think, because I remember, dude, that was that was back in the day. I think that was like kindergarten or first grade, but I, think, I can't remember. Maybe I cut him, and I was just being a total dick, uh, no pun intended, at the water fountain. <laughs> or maybe he cut me. I can't remember. I was a little kid. But either way, I did something. I think I, gra- I, think it was, I was like, you know, like grabbed his nuts or something crazy. And then so like the principal had to bring my parents in have a conference. And I had an alcoholic dad that was just fire off at anybody for, with any confrontation. Like I saw him go off on an entire staff of Blockbuster Video. Holy I saw shit. him go off on an entire staff of a movie theater. I saw him go off on everybody, dude. So he immediately was like, you know, went off on the principal, like, you know, just deflecting and stuff and they got into it hard i remember that and like my mom had to take me out of the office because they were in a shouting match oh wow and i guess the principal was like well i see where it comes from (laughs) (laughs) you know but uh but yeah that was probably maybe like the worst thing i ever did and then i I, as a going into like middle school and high school and stuff i do started doing a lot of drugs Mm -hmm. you know started like getting high super early way earlier than i should have you know drinking you know acid mushrooms weed like 12 13 and on up through high school so anyway what I would do though, what I would do, okay. So I was never, I was wanted to be a musician. I was wanted to, do, I was like, this is what I want to do. From like fourteen on, I thought that's what I wanted to do. So what I would do, I was never the guy who was like, I'm going to be a comedian or I'm going to be like Seinfeld. I know I want to be a comic when I'm fourteen or whatever. Uh, I wasn't like that. Um, I never even considered myself to be like the funny guy. But what I would do, just completely incidentally, is I would get together with all my friends, like after school or on the weekends or whatever. My dad, not a good parenting tactic in retrospect, but I was the kid whose house where it was cool for everybody to go and get high at. Yeah. So you could get away with it there. So I was like, Oh, we can go to this dude's house and get high. So I'd be hanging out with my friends. We'd be drinking, smoking. And, uh, I would be the guy who I do impressions of everybody that we knew, not famous people, but people that we knew. They'd be like, do the PE teacher, do this guy that we have history with, do that chick, you know? So I, and then I would just nail them and nail them and they would laugh, you know? And I would come up with little jokes in conversation but I never thought, I never, ever thought, like, it would transfer to a stage or that I would ever do it comedically, especially back when I was, like, a teenager and stuff. Right. So you, you're you following music at that time, but you said you were a fan of comedy through the whole Huge thing. Huge nerd, So who, who, who was the first person you saw that really introduced you? So early stand-up specials that I would watch, I watched Comedy Central, so my dad's girlfriend um, – had cable. I didn't grow up. My mom never had cable. Right. So my dad's girlfriend, um, when they, you know, split up and they got with their own people, my mom got with my stepdad, my dad got with his girlfriend. She had cable at her apartment. So I would go over there, dude. And I would watch the summers, like a summer vacation, not have anything to do, uh, all through middle school and like all through high school. Um, and then obviously weeknights, you know, um, I would watch premium blend. I'd watch comedy central presents. Yeah. I would watch any comedy special I could. 
uh, it was back when Tommy Davidson hosted uh, Premium Blend. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd watch. I think they were reruns, and I just didn't know they were reruns. I think I'd watch reruns of that, and then I watched Comedy Central presents. So, uh, like uh, Greg Fitzsimmons, Comedy Central presents is one of the first ones that I remember. I used to think that was hilarious, and they'd run it all the time. Jim Gaffigan, um, and, and then I, I would got into, um, you know, like my mom would rent like all the the DVDs for me and stuff, like Chris Rock, you know. Bigger and Blacker, uh, Never Scared, um, you know, all of those, all the classic Chris Rock stuff. And then Eddie Murphy, I go, you know, uh, Delirious, uh, Raw, Richard Pryor, Live on the Sunset Strip, Richard Pryor, Here and Now, all the Richard Pryors. Um, and, uh, you know, George Carlin, all the, all the classics, like all the Led Zeppelin and Beatles and Rolling Stones of comedy. And then all the new stuff too, I'd see on Comedy Central because with all the premium blends and the yeah. Comedy Central presents, right. you know? Um, so I just thought all those were hilarious. I loved stand-up comedy, but I never fathomed that. Cause I assumed I did the normal thing that I think the, the average amateur does where you just think, oh, this person's just really that funny. <laughs> And and they just got up there. And they made it up on the spot. And they were just that funny. These people are just that funny. I never, it never really occurred to me. It's like, no, no, no. They were awful. Like they were funny as a person, but on stage they were horrible for like years. And they like had to work on it and craft it. It's so weird because I myself come from, I was in a punk rock band for years and I played drums also. Okay. And so it's so weird to think that we knew that we needed the practice for that. Right. But we never realized that like, comedians needed the practice. You yeah, know what no, I mean? I, you don't think and that. You never yeah. think about it. And it's such a different way to practice because you only get to do it three to five minutes at a time. And then you, like, unlike music, where you don't hate yourself after it. Yeah. With comedy, after you do an open mic and no one laughs, you're just like, God damn it, I suck. Yeah. Or, like, you go to a show and you bomb and you just, like, for a week, you're just like, I'm the worst human being that ever existed. Uh, and that's why it's so unique. And the other thing is you said you were the front man for a band. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're in a group. Right. You share that. I always say, like, improv comedy, you share the responsibility. Right. You bomb together. Yes. Just like with a band. You have a bad set. It's a bad show. You suck. You're sucking together. Yeah, exactly. Stand-up, it's all you. It's all you. And it's just, oh, man, it can be a real ego drain. <laughs> it's all the glory or all the misery. Yeah. And so it's so funny to think that we didn't realize you needed to practice because we practiced at these other things that we put in the time. It's the exact same thing. So I always thought... I always think that's really funny. You talk kind of about going up for the first open mic. Were you nervous? Yes, I was very nervous. Uh, that first ever open mic that I did, or the one here in both. Okay, yeah. so yeah, the the first ever one I did. Yeah, I, I like. Uh, I basically like was like completely, absolutely trying to be a replica of Daniel Tosh. Mm-hmm. I wrote a bunch of fuck like hacky whatever. I can't even remember what they were. And I did it at a hotel bar um, in oh. L.A. just outside of Hollywood. And uh, I didn't understand this either because I was brand new. I didn't understand that the, the four people that I was going up in front of were also comics. This was just a horrible open mic on like a Tuesday night or something. Right. right. So like I didn't understand that everybody there was also a comic. Like the guy hosting, the two guys sitting there. So I thought that like what I said was horrible. There's no doubt about that. But I thought that they I was just bombing in front of these people that were there to watch. I didn't understand. No, well, what you do suck, but also – that there is truth in that, but you're also even if you were good, these dudes aren't really going to care. They're no. other comedians. No, they're too I mean? worried about what they're going to say and what's going on, and yeah. they're not even paying attention. Or they're to too busy the judging you. Being yeah, like, absolutely, yeah. Like, yeah what guy. the fuck are they yeah. doing? I'm so much better. Yeah, than well, them. I should be up there. <laughs> you know, just like all taking his minutes yeah, right now. Yeah, yeah. So like, um, I uh, I was nervous, and I didn't, and I thought, oh my god. 
like I'm so horrible. It's like, well, yeah, first of all, yes, you are. But also you're going up. This is a horrible open mic, too. Yeah. I didn't understand any of that. Right. So then when I did the open mic at Arlington Improv, um, there were a couple regular audience members. But I did have a concept of like, OK, because I had that small bit of experience. So like I knew, OK, I'm going to go up. It's going to be mostly comics. OK, I understand that now. And there's going to be a couple tables up front. But yeah, I did like almost like I did nothing. I can't even remember what I did two years ago. I don't do any of that stuff now. Oh. It, it was all awful, I'm sure. I sang. <laughs> awful, dude. dude i tried that once and somebody made fun of me and i was just like I'm oh my god again. dude i said it was so cringy dude yeah it was so cringy oh my god so you were nervous though i was a little i was nervous so i was you, very nervous but you're only two years removed from that do you feel that nervousness still no because fortunately man it's just been kind of like going up and up and up man i'm getting like a, a lot of stage time mm. i've gotten a lot of stage time like i got past like this time last year i went and showcased at the looney bin in okc insane um it's closed mm. right now but it might word on the street word on the street no confirmation yet new owners might be reopening it awesome okay? so that would be cool because that's the closest looney bin to dfw so it was really convenient because it's just a three-hour trip i was driving you know compared to tulsa or little rock right i know and i listen i'm a big podcast nerd namely comedy podcast nerd i listen to a lot of comedy podcasts that's pretty much all i listen to um <clears throat> so i knew that the age you are in comedy is not how many days or months or years you've been doing it. It's how many hours you've logged of stage time, uh -huh. right? So um, I knew that the best way to get access to stage time, right, uh, even though it's been a small amount of time, uh, is I need to get as good as I can at developing a nice set of clean comedy that I can open with, that I can host with, right? Because the faster I can do that and develop decent jokes that are good enough for me to be able to open, the faster that certain clubs are going to give me those opportunities. And the more of those opportunities I get, that means the more stage time I'm going to get, right? Which So it's not necessarily that I think I'm good enough to have this. It's that I think I'm good decent enough to get these opportunities so that I can continue to get really good. Right. You know what I mean? So, <clears throat> and that's, so now I've done like the Looney bin complete circle twice through now. Um, this time I just did Tulsa. I noticed like year over year. So the first year that I did it, I got like very little feedback or any kind like maybe one or two people between all the different Looney bin weekends that I did had said anything about how good or decent my set was this time. Um, I was in Tulsa, a lot of people, so year over year, I notice the improvement is my point. I notice right. that I'm that much better than I was last year, which is all should be everybody's goal, right? Yeah. To just continuously grow, continuously get funnier and better. So I noticed my feedback year over year was like up a thousand percent. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that was a cool little reassurance for me. Yeah. So yeah. so how did you get the hosting gig? Is that was it the Looney Bin the first time you hosted? First ever club that I worked at was the Looney Bin. Yeah, it was OKC. Um, I went up there. I did the open mic because I wanted to. Do, I wanted to get booked in places no matter what, so I could get more stage time. Because right. I, I was getting bar shows, I was getting little spots here and there. Um, you know, but then I was like, dude, I really need that because that's going to be like a really good guarantee that I'm going to start to be able to do 10, 15 minutes on the regular. So um, I uh, went up there and I did the open mic, four minute set. Asked the manager to watch me. Um, and I did well. And then she was like, that was a good set. Do you have tape? Can you do 15 minutes clean? And fortunately, um, I was, I just had my Rose city. I just taped a 15 minute set there. Right. Um, wasn't a complete 15 minute set, but it was good enough. Right. So I sent it to her a month later, got booked. She was like, what are your avails? Right. So there was the first club to give me the opportunity. Wow. So I did OKC, did really well, had a good weekend there. So she was like, you did well. I'm going to give you the numbers of all the managers of the other three clubs. Oh, Tell snap. them I told you to, you know, and obviously I came up, I said, Hey, I'd love to work the other clubs if you liked what I did. And she was like, yes, I did. Here are their numbers. Right. Nice. So she's like, tell them I told you 
to call them and to get booked there and that you just worked here. So then, boom, I started doing Wichita. I started doing Tulsa. I started doing Little Rock. Oh, um, that's so cool. So then, obviously, people here in DFW saw that. So then I started getting club opportunities here. Started getting more opportunities at the improvs. Started getting more opportunities at the hyenas. Um, you know, and then also I, I had gone to backdoor religiously, like every week. My first what a great year. place too, great to, place. especially to practice your clean comedy because yeah. that's what they require. Linda gave me a lot of opportunities and that open mic. I went every Thursday for my entire first year. I, I asked if I could host a weekend and she said, yes, she gave me a little trial. I did well. Um, so then I got started doing the weekend at backdoor, you know, shortly thereafter. So that helped me also because that continued to help me hone and stuff. And then. Um, a lot of the DFW comics here kind of saw like that progress that I was making and they saw the progress I was making on stage too and they saw the things I started to get. So then they, that kind of, I won, I think I got kind of won people's respect, mm -hmm. you know, um, like Tony Compion was telling me like, dude, I, I, I ain't fucking, I, I was like, what the fuck is this guy fucking getting here? But I can't even tell you, man, it's funny, man, you know. He's like, dude, you, you got my respect, man. Not before, but now, you know? <laughs> Which is great. No, I love Tony. I love Tony. But that's what he said. At first, he was like, I was like, who the fuck? You know? But now, but he's like, so I've been, I've been working, dude. I've been working yeah. it, you know, and just hostling, trying to get as much data. And time which possible. is crazy because you're kind of outside of DFW a little bit. You're way down there on the south side of Fourth Worth. We so. do things a little yeah. differently <laughs> out here, boy. <laughs> so I've, been, I've always seen you at the open mic up here. And so I know you've been traveling around and doing that. So that's, that's crazy. I think that's another thing that a lot of established working DFW comedians saw too. Like they, they, when some of them knew where I live cause they did my podcast and some of them learned where I live mm -hmm. when they asked me and they were like, dude, like this dude's coming out to Dallas yeah. like three, four times a week driving 40 plus minutes to do so, to do open mics and go up at like 12 o'clock, you know, at midnight, yeah. like. This guy's got some drive. I think that people, at the very minimum, whether they thought I was funny or not, they do appreciate that. And you travel a lot, don't you, for your job? Um, I drive all around. Yeah, I drive all around for my day job. I work for an auto auction. So, like, I, I drive. Driving is already a part of it. Just being from L.A., dude, making a 30, 40-minute trip somewhere is not out of the ordinary for me. Yeah. You know, I understand that's a little different for people in DFW, but for me, it's kind of like, dude, that's not a big deal. I'm already used to that. Yeah, with DFW, it takes about an hour and 15 to an hour and a half to get from one side of the city to the other. So that's conservative without heavy traffic, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, yeah, you get used to it. And it's, I mean, it can be a d decent drive, and you can take the tollways if you want. That makes it a little shorter. But, yeah, I mean, there's so many opportunities, though. Like, for you to say that you've only been in the game two years, doing 12 open mics a week, which is a lot. Unfortunately or fortunately, however you want to look at it, a good problem to have, or unfortunately for writing's sake, I don't get to get to as many of them as as, as I used to because yeah. I do I'm booked quite a bit now. Yeah, so, and and you got a family too. You There's gotta... the family thing, but fuck them. No, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not important. No, 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 but I'm saying, but in all seriousness, dude. Fortunately, thank God, like most weekends, I have at least one, if not a couple shows. Yeah. So I, I get to you know my whole thing, my my big long game, like Amazon twenty year plan of everything. It's all about stage time. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not necessarily like the little trophies, like what you get at this point in time being in competition with people <laughs> it's not about that for me it's about how do i get the maximum stage time like there have been weeks this past in 2023 so far thank god due to other uh, dallas fort worth comics that have given me some opportunities and really vouched for me and helped me out that's the only reason 
I've gotten weeks where I've had two and a half hours of stage time. Oh, wow. Between all the clubs and all the spots, if you add up the 15-minute, 10-minute, 15-minute, 10-minute. Um, this last weekend, I did four spots on Friday alone. I did two shows at TK's, and then I did a guest spot at Hyenas on Dope City. Shout out to Matt and Tim from Dope City. Uh, and then I did uh, a 15-minute spot at DCC. Nice. So that's four spots in one night alone, and that was an hour and a half of cumulative stage time altogether for that whole weekend. Because I did TK's Thursday through Sunday, plus Friday was those two extra shows. Yeah. So that's if you look at that in terms of your log and how old you are in terms of stage time, that's an example of one of how great one of my weeks can be. Do you tally in total, or do you just look at it like a week? I don't, I don't have like a log. You're not doing like I'm, ten thousand hours of. Like, no, no, I, and I'm not opposed to that. I'm not knocking that. If somebody does that, that's great. But no, for me, I'm just kind of keeping a mental picture, and I'm kind of like looking at like, okay, let me look at tape then versus now. I'm looking at feedback year over year. Um, you know, I got an opportunity to go and do the Grove a few times. Um, once again got in there strictly because of vouch from some very respected Dallas Fort Worth comedians that said that I could use their name. So it's because of them solely that I got an initial opportunity. But here's the thing. I get these initial opportunities because of those vouch vouches, but then I go there and I deliver on them and I do right. well. Right. So that's the payoff, right? That's like making their name that I feel like I'm obligated to make them look good too. Right. Cause like they're nice enough to put their neck out there and give me that, that nice vouch and give me the, the reason why I'm there. So I better bring it, right? Because yeah. the last thing I want to do is have them help me out and make them look bad. Right? Yeah. So because of that, I got to get into the Grove, you know, and I had a good weekend there. My first weekend, the guy was like, hey, dude, you're going to be working here a lot. I'm going to be Damn. calling you, you know? So then that's how I got the Poly Shore opportunity, et cetera. And like Bill up there has helped me work a lot. So, you know, and, and obviously I can parlay those, right? Like, so you do well at one club and you, you do a good job. You have a good attitude. You build a good reputation. You can say, hey, dude, let me work at your club. You know, this dude over here, they're going to know. Every club knows each other. They all compete, yep. right? So be like, dude, I just worked for him. Call him, ask him how I did. Because in every club, they've worked for the other clubs. little inside for you, just so you know. Yep. You leave one place, you go somewhere mm -hmm. else. Because once you're in comedy, you're in. Yeah. That's all there is to it. So uh, it's the references, right? So yep. it's like just you. Like It's like, dude, I just worked at XYZ. Don't let me tell you how great I am or whatever blow smoke at you. Why don't you call or text him and tell, tell yep. let him tell you? Yeah. Hey everyone, it's just Doc jumping in to say thank you so much for checking out the podcast today. If you dig it, please head over to our website at improvtx.com where you can check out our calendar for all the upcoming shows in Addison, Arlington, Houston, and San Antonio. And don't forget to follow our social media, all links in the description. And with that, back to the podcast. So let's switch gears a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to talk about your writing process. What is that like? Do you, you drive a lot? So is it just thinking while driving or is it, do you write longhand? Do you sit down and write every day? Um, it's a combination of both. Most of the time when it comes down to, it's a little bit of like what you said. It's a little bit of like driving and I'll just think of random thoughts or watching TV and I'll think of a thought or watching, you know, seeing something on the internet. Um, or sometimes I will sit down um, and do the application. I try as much as possible. I fail most days, but some <laughs> days I try to do the whole Damon Wayans thing where I heard on a podcast once where his advice was, dude, just, you have, everybody has a smartphone now. He's like, set a timer on your phone and write for 10 minutes. He's like, everybody's got 10 minutes. Okay. I don't care who you are at some point in the day or night, sit down and write for 10 minutes. Even if you get no ideas, just write stream of consciousness on your phone or on a notebook and write till that put the phone upside down so you don't look at it and just wait till that timer goes off and then you can say that you wrote every day for 10 minutes i do that sometimes yeah. okay um like most comics you procrastinate though i procrastinate well and also it's a balance right you got to find your balance because I, I am doing I'm, I'm putting out content a lot i'm editing yeah. my podcast i'm editing videos i was going to ask do you get content from your podcast 
Yeah. You I ever go, listen back and go, oh, my God, that was fucking hilarious. I'm going to pull couple it A couple times. A couple times. Yeah, I need to do it more because yeah. I'm sure there's some other stuff oh, in there's there. There's content in there, dude. I'm telling yeah. Bill Burr pulls like 90% of his act from his podcast. Yes. But the, he also talks to himself, so he's working through material constantly, which is nice about you is you do have the – you just started recently doing the, doing the stream solos. of consciousness yeah. talking. But you have amazing guests from, with the local comedians on too. It's pretty cool. So, and, and the thing that I like about you and you'll notice about me – I pull back whenever the guest is there. I let them do the most of the talking. You do the same thing. Yeah, you you're very good, dude. You, yeah. you were great on mine. I was like, you know, because I could tell. I knew that you had a couple podcasts, but I never really, like, sat down and, like, riffed with you before, mm -hmm. especially on a podcast. So that's one thing I noticed. Like, you and Raphael were both good. Like, yeah. you guys were both really good. Raph is Brian Nat was awful. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, Brian. I love Brian. No, uh, Nat, he's so naturally charismatic. You're drawn to him. So, like, you have to play off the, the – everyone's has different – levels of like experience and charisma and what they do and what they bring to the table and doing the horror podcast, which you've done with us quite yes, a, like fun. a couple times, I think like five, 10 times, yeah, or so, yeah, yeah, a couple times. Uh, right towards the end of it. You could tell, like you have to kind of jump in when you can, but you have to pull back when you can. It's hard, man. Especially whenever you want to, like you said, ADD it, you want to jump in with what you got to yeah. say, but you got to pull back. Yeah. So that's a, that's a skill in itself. Mm -hmm. It really is. Mm -hmm. But uh, so the writing process, you kind of do the longhand and then you go back and edit it. Is that what you do? What it mostly comes down to is me writing things that I think are funny ideas in my phone. I have a whole tab where I just write like joke ideas and then I'll just write them down and then I'll look through it. Like whenever I'm about to do an open mic or whether I have a show where I can try to throw something in the middle to see if it's good or not, like I'll look through that and I'll make bullet points like and I'll just put a phrase so I know I remember in my head. Or if it's an open mic and I can have my phone there on the stool or whatever, then I can look at it and reference it. Um, and then I'll just do that. So most of the time it comes down. I do write in a notebook like I have a notebook. Um, I don't write in it all the time. Mostly it comes from the phone mm -hmm. um, and just like thinking of ideas. And then you know how it is, dude, because like, I learned quickly, just like a lot of comics talk about, like a lot of veteran comics talk about, when I was brand new, I used to write every single word out and even write like tags or reactions. And he's like, every, every, everybody that's successful is like, dude, don't do that. Like everybody's like, dude, now when I come with an idea, I'll put like a word. And then I go upstage cause, and record myself. Because really what you want to do is just say the thing that you think is going to be funny and say it however you're going to say it on stage because that's how you're going to figure out how to really communicate it and you're also going to figure out the things that you don't think are going to necessarily be as funny about the bit you're trying to do those might be the funniest things to the audience they might laugh at things you didn't even realize were funny and the thing you thought was going to be really funny about it isn't even the funny part that bombs yeah. you know what i mean so the only way you're going to learn that stuff is if you go on stage and you try it that's genius. I didn't even, I've never heard that before. Dude, the so. only reason I even know that is because I've listened to people like Patrice O'Neill, Louis C.K., you know, like, uh, like masters of comedy or whatever, you know, veteran comics that were iconic. Talk about that. You know what I mean? Like, they're like, dude, I used to write every single, Joe Rogan, I used to write every single word down. I even used to write like possible things I would say when the crowd reacts to what yeah. I'm saying. He's like, dude, don't do that. He's like, just go up there and say it because you're probably going to fail at it the first time. It's not going to come out that great. And like, you need to record and listen to what people are reacting to. Yeah, that's, a, that's definitely a problem I have as I'm robotic. And that's something I have to work on. Uh, I've never even thought about that. So that you just blew my mind with all that information. Like, I'm like, I got to totally do that. Um, how do you deal with hecklers? Like, what is, do you enjoy them? Um, I don't mind it. Yeah. I don't mind. I've gotten better, more comfortable. Like, that's a cool thing with the stage time that kind of has, like, it's shown to me over time in the small time that I've been doing comedy is, like, um, anytime somebody shouts something out or whatever, like, I 
I get to like, you know, you just, you just get very comfortable with pivoting off of it. Mm -hmm. Right. Like the first time it happens, you're like, Oh, you know, <laughs> um, okay. Oh. But then now you can just flow into it. You get mm -hmm. better at it. Yeah. You get better at dealing with that stuff. Um, just like, uh, just like with being on stage itself, you just get more comfortable with it and you can kind of roll with the punches. So do you stick to your script mainly, or do you do improv when you go on stage? How do you play the game? Um, I'll, I'll improv off of like certain ways that people react to the jokes. And then like, I've gotten like when I hit walls, like when it's a certain crowd or whatever, that like, it's a joke that's just kind of like a B or a C joke. That's not quite as good as the A's, right? Like the joke that's not as good as maybe other that I know, like, unless like if the crowd might not pick up on, I have like good recovery lines that I've only developed from being on stage over and over. Like, um, my big thing that confuses comics that follow me sometimes if they're listening to me is like whenever something bombs or whenever I hit a wall, um, to overcome the silence and try to win them back real quick, I'll ask the crowd how the edibles are kicking in. <laughs> so, like, then people laugh. Most of the time, people laugh at that. At least a portion of the crowd will laugh because I'm like, how are those edibles kicking in, guys? <laughs> like, Dude, I don't, know if, I don't know if you're funny or not, but there's two of you right now. People get – they kind of jump back in. So then I can win them back and then go back into something else to try to get them again, you know? I, something I noticed watching your clip today, you get a little bit aggressive with the crowd too. You mm. kind of speak with the voice of the crowd. Mm. And like uh, you did the joke about the – it's a really good like uh, triple joke and you end with the, the concentration camp. And oh, when yeah, that yeah. bombs in that clip, it didn't bomb, but it didn't do yeah, as well yeah, as the yeah, first yeah. two. You're just like, oh, that's the fucking line, motherfuckers. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. So I was like, oh, I like that. Yeah, and then they and then they react. Yeah, yeah. So then you kind of get them back, right? Yeah. So like they kind of were like, ooh, and then you're like, come on, guys, and then they're like, ah, yeah, you're right. we forgot we're in a comedy club. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. were living by the social norms of everywhere else. Yeah, I hate that tape that you watched. By the oh, way. really? Because I, so, well, I have so much. I do something completely new now that I would totally. What I would include, and this is always going to change and evolve over time, right? But, like, I have things now in my normal set. Like, if you were like, dude, go up on stage at the improv and do 10 minutes. Like, do your A stuff. I have, like, a completely different half of that whole thing compared to what you watch that mm -hmm. I would do now. So, No, I understand that over time you do begin to hate your material. And you kind of go, like, I suck and this sucks. But then sometimes you'll love it again. So you go back and forth. I like what you just said about the A jokes, the B jokes, the C jokes. I've never even thought about that. I guess I knew that there were stronger ones and weaker ones yeah but i never thought about categorizing them that way i got that from stephen briggs i just opened for him at tulsa and he was like the way that you craft your set and you build it over time to the point where you get like 30 minutes and stuff because a lot of these guys a lot of these headliners are like dude you need to what your next goal should be like you know because they're like you're a solid host their words not mine they're like you're a solid host um and you got good material like you need to start working on building so you can start featuring like and what that's going to take is they're like how you're going to get there is you're going to take all your a jokes you know they're a jokes right but what you're going to do is you're going to start taking your b and your c jokes these are his words right stephen briggs and he He's like, you're going to work on and replace the C's with with better jokes. So then now that you're going to bump up and you're going to have that many more B jokes. And then you're going to replace those B's and bump them up, place them with A jokes or change them to become A jokes. Now you got now all of a sudden you got 25 minutes of A and B and you got no C anymore. And then all of a sudden, a few months later, now you got all A. Now you got 20 minutes of A jokes, dude. Wow. You know what I mean? So like that's he was saying that's the ABC. That's awesome. That's, yeah. That that makes sense. And that actually helps a lot. Like. That's some inside dope right there. It really he's, is. He's a headliner. Yeah. You know? So he that, was headlining. That's crazy. Um, there's this other dude, Jeff Shaw, that I opened for at the Grove. Um, not to go down a rabbit hole on this, go but another it. piece of advice that he gave me that I think you'll like that I liked. He's a 30 year plus comic, you know? Um, he was like, a lot of comics make the mistake, a lot of young comics. He's like, they make the mistake of thinking, oh, well, to get like a longer set, 
to get like, you know, I'm at, I'm at 15. How do I get to 20 and 30? He's like, a lot of people make the mistake of going, I just need to write more material and come up with more jokes, right? And more material and more premises. He's like, no, the, the easiest way and what you should be doing is take the things in your 10, 15 minute set that already work and expand on those. Mm -hmm. Write more tags, write more perspectives, write more jokes that are along that subject line that you know is already working, that's proven, that's funny, and then expand on those. So you take the things that you spend three minutes on, you turn each of those into six or seven minute chunks. Now all of a sudden you got 25 minutes out of the topics that were 10. Yeah. So that was what he said too. Yeah, John Panay, uh may he rest in peace, uh, he was amazing at talking about the fact that he was fat. And that's all he would talk about. And he would do entire hours, two hours of like just fat jokes back to back to back to back to back. And it worked like the whole time. And he toured forever until he passed away. You know what I mean? So I think there's something there to that. And I think that that uh, that's genius. Yeah, you really do have to work on what works. That was and, great advice that he said. He's yeah. like, just put more of your perspective in there. Because he's like, what people, he's like, a lot of people think that your I a lot of com comics will have a joke be funny consistently. And then he's like, the mistake they make is think, oh yeah, well that, that was just one idea that I came up with was funny. He's like, no, people are, think it's funny because they really believe you and they enjoy your perspective on that. So he's like, give them more of it. Put more of your perspective on that same subject matter. Make it a, a, a five minute long joke instead of a one minute long joke. And you talked about that a little bit earlier. You said about, you know, talking about myself. And that's something that you do a lot where you talk about your experiences. Because veterans, I listen to veterans. They're mm -hmm. like, dude, that's what I realized like I, I have to do. Yeah. And that's what people are interested in because people are interested in who you are when you get on that stage and what your story is. And so how did you find that voice within the last two years? I just started, I just started, because I, obviously I went on stage initially and I went like, let's talk about this rap song and let's yeah. talk about all this dumb, like things that a lot of people do, whatever, like in the beginning. Yeah. And then I listened to a lot of people, both in the scene here locally, um, working comics, as well as like veterans and superstars on podcasts. And like all of them are talking about like, the thing that people are most interested in is yourself and, and people aren't going to believe you or want to listen to you or even think that anything you say is funny until they really are tuned in and they believe what you're saying. Yeah. Because once the first thing you hook people in with is that you they believe what you're saying first. You say something that relates and resonates with them, right? Then you say the funny and that's when you really hit. That's when a joke hits because people are like, oh, I get what this guy said. I believe this guy. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. You know, and then the laugh comes. Right? So was it hard finding yourself on stage or do you think you did that pretty quick? I mean, I think obviously like, I'm still in the process of finding my voice. I think it takes years to do that, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I think part – that's why Ralph Barbosa, local giant superstar yeah. now, hometown hero, right? Uh, very cool guy. Don't know him super well but had a couple little cool exchanges with him. was always very nice. And now he's huge. I think that's what a lot of people say his success was. Obviously, he's funny. Obviously, he's talented. But he found – you talk to Ralph offstage, mm -hmm. he's not that different than the guy that's on stage. Yeah. He's just saying jokes versus he's just chilling there offstage. Yeah. He found how to be himself quickly. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So I think I think I just started talking about, like, my life. Like, dude, what, what's, what can I say? I got these two little kids. You know what I mean? That's that's part of my reality. That's part of my life, you know. Um, and then other stuff is just kind of my perspective on stuff. Now, do you want to get to the point, because you said you're working kind of clean right now. Do you want to work dirtier? Because the, the podcast itself is not clean yeah. in any way, shape, yeah. or form. Yeah. And I think that that personality that you put out in the podcast is probably who you want to be as a comedian eventually. Yeah, so do I you, think you're right. You, you do want to work dirtier. Yeah, I'd say so, because shows where I've gotten to be dirty – I'm like definitely feel like I'm way more of myself and right. not just up there being a guy telling these jokes and being just more me, which is every successful comedian. That's 
It's how long does it take to get to just being you? Yeah. Whether it takes a year or 20, that's when you really start to be really funny. Fucking clip that right there because that is the truth. That right? Is, that is. That's what I hear from everybody that's been doing it, right? Yeah. They're like, dude, it's just how long does it take to be you, right? Yeah. For example, okay, so uh, do all my clean stuff on Friday night like at TK's because I'm opening, right? I want you to be clean. Then I jump over to Hyenas. I do the same thing just because they wanted me to open the show up, right? So it was a guest spot, but it was an opening guest spot. Um, then I go over to DCC. Now it's 15 minutes of whatever I want to do, right? And I'm closing out this. I'm, I'm the last comic to go up because I was late, right? So I go up there and I just, I'm, now I get to do all my dirty stuff, yeah. right? So then I was just completely flowing and being myself and messing with the crowd and doing all that. That is way more fun. To me, that's way more fun. I can go up there. I can be clean. I definitely wanted to prove myself and mm-hmm. be like, no, dude, I can write like, you know, like 15, 20 minutes of like clean material, you know what I mean, that works, mm-hmm. that I can use if you're like, hey, dude, I need you to be squeaky clean. I can do that. Is it really 100% me, at least at this stage for me in my perspective? I don't think so. It's a lot more funny and loose for me. Like I did a spot at Bricktown that was a showcase show, right? So I went up and got to do 15 minutes, no restrictions, right? No clean, no no crowd work, whatever. And like immediately I got on stage and there was this dude just staring at the floor. Like he was just looking. <laughs> I don't know if he was high or what, but he was just like, you know how Bricktown's set up? No. So the stage is not like this where it's elevated. It's like It's slightly elevated, but there's a square of people around you on three sides and like those people are right up against like you could put your foot on the stage easily right yeah. so he's just sitting there just like this so i get up there before i even start any material i'm like what the hell's going on dude you <laughs> bored dude and everybody just starts cracking up dude i'm like this guy's so depressed I'm like, oh, not good enough dude and so then i started messing around and then i just i was myself and i got to be like dirty and just say whatever that doesn't mean that like all my jokes were dirty but like it was just it was just a lot more comfortable but that kind of goes back to what you did when you were a kid when you were making fun of like all the local legends and like the people that everyone knew. Yeah. yeah like yeah. you were, you were fucking with people and kind of playing off that you have these archetypes now where you see this guy where you, he's just, you know, like you said, is he depressed? Is he bored? Is he high? What is he? And you have this ability to hone in on that. And I'm sure that's learned skill from being able, with all the other kids, all those times when you were younger and making fun of people. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. I could see you like taking that and expanding it and having a lot of fun okay. with it. Yeah. So, that would be awesome. Yeah. I knew this was going to be fun because I was like, we're yeah. talking to Crux. Like, we're just going to chill and have a good time. Wasn't well, so. it always fun, man? Because you can relate to this 100%. Not every guest that you have on a podcast or a show is also going to be a podcaster. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's always fun to have somebody like Mikey B is awesome. Cause he podcasts, you know, uh, you know, Shiva is an awful person, but he's cool to do it with. Cause he, <laughs> cause he podcasts with me all the time. He's good. He's good. On, he's really cause he's, good. Cause he came to my house every week. So he's got a lot of podcast yeah. chops. He's got chops now on a podcast that he didn't have before. Yeah. Cause he's do- doing so many of them. So like when you do one, especially with somebody that produces one themselves, themselves, like you, you there's a flow there and there's, and you just you're more comfortable. Fine. Right. Yeah. So, I've had Mikey B on. I knew it was going to be fun. It was. He talked about dirty shit. It was a blast. Dude, Mikey B, I'll tell you, like, he, he's a friend of mine, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and we're close. Uh, what I love about him is obviously he's a funny comic on stage, obviously, but, like, his thing is he's one of the more funny people uh, locally that, like, I just love to have a conversation with yeah. and just watch him mess with people. He's just a funny dude. And he does that naturally. He he's just, just a naturally He's like, how guy. am I going to tear you down while building you up? <laughs> he's the so same good. And then he'll say stuff like, one day I was like, man, I'm fat. He goes, yeah, you're fat as shit. I was like, oh, 
That hurt. <laughs> I'm like, it's he can kind of get away with it. He's though. like, I'm fat as shit, though, too, mm-hmm. so it's fine. I was like, all right, Mikey. Yeah, he can kind of get away. Yeah, I just love it. how open he is, and I love it with face value. And he's just so naturally funny, dude. Yeah. Probably, I'd say probably the most naturally funny person in Dallas-Fort Worth for what it is on record going down in history probably is Tom Murphy. Yeah. The most just – I'm talking about just in an existence. Yeah, I almost felt like when he disappeared – he did it on purpose <laughs> just because it was like an Andy Kaufman style. Like, like he was like, I'm not going to be around anymore. I was just like, yeah. hey, he's fine. I mean, dude, that guy yeah. so funny. Just uh, naturally. Well, let's talk about the podcast. Okay. How did that come about? Because you're at 100 episodes almost. I'm at 92. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I'm about to hit 100. And, you know, I'm going to start doing at least two or three a week, I think, solos and then guests. Yeah. Um, Are you going to count those as numbers, the solos? I'm going to count them as numbers, okay. yeah, yeah. Because it's really going to – it's not about the number as much anymore because I'm realizing, like, what I really want to do is start just covering trending topics, like, as often throughout the week as I can. And that's good practice, too, for writing. Yes. So that's awesome. 100%. 100%. I knew that I had to have a podcast just because um, all the veteran comics that are super successful said – so leading up to me starting two years ago, everybody in the industry that's successful and does comedy professionally, whether you're Joe Rogan or whether you're just a working comic that does the road, everybody knows that you got to have something else. You got to be doing something else. You got to be present on social media. You got to do skits. You got to have a podcast. You got to, if you're a hot chick, you got to be like showing some skin. You got to do something, something, right? You got to do something else because there's so many people doing comedy and the world is so different and like JFL is changing. Comedy Central is almost non-existent. Like nobody specials are kind of going out of style, dude. Yeah. Unless you're already a superstar comic that everybody wants to see your next take on things, like a Chris Rock or a Joe Rogan or a Dave Chappelle. Obviously, those guys can put out specials forever and people will watch them. But if you're an upcoming comic, dude, it's all about specials, the clips. Yeah, specials yeah. are kind of out of date, man. Yeah. People don't have uh, the attention span. You know what I mean? It's about YouTube shorts, TikToks, what you can throw on Instagram reels. It's about your 60-second clip. And it's weird that comedy is so – I noticed this from being an editor working for this company. It works within 60 seconds. Now, a joke can be longer than that, but you can get a really tight 60 seconds in there. And if people start thinking within that 60 seconds, I think they're going to really kill it. But, like, the clip is what it's all about. And it's and that's you're seeing people like Matt Reif blow up over that, yeah. you know, do the clips. Uh, Barbosa, like we talked about already, he, his YouTube channel has a, a lot of people don't realize Matt Reif's been in the game for ten years. Oh yeah, it's it's he such started a when he was fifteen, process. dude. Yeah, it's such like a people long think process. like, dude, this guy sucks. That's one thing. Like, uh, this is the last thing I actually want to say. Oh, this is good. This is good. Try to include this if you can, because this is probably my and this isn't just so I can toot my own horn or anything like that. This is just because it was cool. It was like a direct proof of like all, all the hard work so far. But anyway. Matt Reif, I was told by an L.A. comedian, comedy store pay regular that I actually met at TK's last weekend, um, told me that uh, Matt Reif has been working in L.A. since he was 15 years old. So he's even though he's really young, he's 26, whatever, he's been in the game for a decade. Yeah. You know what I mean? Grinding and not being good and just being this little dorky kid. Now, you know, yeah, what he might be getting hooked up with some HGH and got some caps <laughs> on his teeth and looking hot, right? And, and he's getting some attention from the ladies, and he's also getting some attention on clips, and he's got some management behind him. But, dude, it's not like he just picked the mic up last year and said, I'm going to do comedy. I think that's what a lot of people that are hating on him, that's the perception. I don't understand the hate. He's hilarious. Yeah, and, that, and that's the perception, though, is yeah. that he just – got up there and got 10 minutes and then he looks 
caught, yeah. so people book him. It's like, no, dude, he's been working on this for yeah. a long time. Dude. And it's and I've loved what you said. It's about time, stage time. How much can you clock? How much can you get in per week? Doing twelve open mics, it's a lot of work. People listen. That's a lot of driving. That's it a sucks. lot of that's a lot of sitting it's a there. Lot of bombing. It's a lot of bombing. It's a lot of <laughs> sitting there and waiting for your turn, especially when you're new to the game. Yeah. Like yes. it's horrible. But it's what is required. I'd sit here, dude. I come here on Sundays, and I got, I completely understood, dude, because I was I was old and mature enough to understand that like I'm on the bottom of the totem pole, mm. dude. So I was completely accepting. I'd come here, I get put the bottom of the list, you know, or I wouldn't even get a chance to get up. I wasn't mad because it's like, dude, I understand. You know, yeah. I understand. I'm nobody. I'm brand new here. You guys want to see if I even last? Or, or you know? like here, I can get into the list right away. Obviously, because I work here. Yeah. Hyenas, I gotta sit there for five hours. Yep. That's just the way too. it is. And now, now I get up right away. But that's yeah. because I went there every damn week and got up at one o'clock in the morning. You know what I mean? Yeah. And bombed. But anyway, here's the last thing I want to say because I know we got a time factor. So this was really cool for me, dude. This was really cool. So like, I've gotten some good opportunities in the small little time I've been doing comedy, right? But the best thing that happened, I can say, that was like really proof of like concept and proof of like, okay, my hard work is paying off, right? Just like when you go to the gym a bunch of times in a row and someone says, hey, dude, you're looking kind of jacked. And you're like, yeah. So you do like hours <laughs> of work, noticed. hours of work for that one little comment. But that yeah. one little comment, it like means the world. So this was the same thing. This dude, Brady Matthews, that I just met last week, hadn't heard of him before, but dude, his name's on the wall at the comedy store. He's a comedy store paid regular. He's going to do Ryan Sickler's uh, Honeydew podcast in a month or so. Cool dude. Um, he's a legit comic, okay? He's a legit comic, been in the game for years. His name's on the wall at the comedy store. Um, he did a guest spot at TK's because he used to live in L.A. and TK knows. He came in. I was hosting Saturday shows. Um, he came up to me at the bar after the sets, and he was like, dude, you were funny, man. You were funny, and you're a good host, too. He's like, you're a good host. Um, and uh, he's like, how long have you been doing it? And I was like, dude, honestly, like, this month is two years, right? And he was like, no shit, He's like, dude, you were excellent. He's like, dude, if you'd have said 10, I'd have been like, oh, okay, yeah. 10, all right, well, that's a little <laughs> for 10. He's like, but two? He's like, dude, you were excellent, man. Like, you you are solid. You were solid, man. He's like, you know, and then he offered me the spot that he's got going on in Austin a couple months later and stuff that who knows if that'll happen or not. I'm not mad at him if it doesn't. I don't care. The gesture was nice enough. But my point in bringing it up is not to go, yeah, dude, and that's why I'm cool. <laughs> my point is that's the that, that was like, the direct evidence of, of getting paid off. Cause it's okay for one of your buddies to say, Hey, that was a good set or Hey man, you're getting funny or like for your family or somebody to give you a compliment. It's like, you don't believe it. Cause you're like, nah, they're just being nice. But this dude did not know me, did not owe me anything, did not have to be nice. He's a legit proven comic comedy store comic. Right. And he was super funny. Yeah. And he said, dude, you're excellent. That was fucking cool. Yeah. That was a great compliment. That was like proof of concept. Like, okay, dude, I'm on the right track. I just need to keep doing what I'm doing and keep heading in the direction I'm in. Yeah. You know? And I think that that's the key thing. So many things you've said during this podcast have been such good advice. And usually I ask somebody, what's your advice for up and coming comedians? You've already given like some of the best advice I've heard out of all the comedians I've just, talked to. I'm just regurgitating all the advice. Dude, but you're using it though too. That's what matters. Try and it. two years in, like you said, you're working at the Looney Bin, you work at the Improv, you work at Hyenas, you work at all these different places on the weekends. That's huge to be working consistently. You know yep. what I mean? A lot of people aren't working it two years in. So yep. I, the, the, the proof is in the pudding, as they say. But yeah, the podcast, if you're not listening to it, everyone, you need to start listening to it. Crux, yeah! I love yeah. doing that. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's a good podcast, <laughs> but, man. It's yeah. fun. Oh, it's fun, dude. It's a blast. And like the fact that you let me and Raph come on at that come one on time. Come on anytime. Dude, I love it. Like it's it was one of the funnest experiences because once again, you're hosting. 
it's hard to host because you got to hold back. When I can be a guest, I'm just like, all right, I can be wild now and just yeah. be crazy. Yeah. That's how I started in podcasting was as a guest always. You know what I mean? So I could just say the wildest shit. I didn't realize that hosting, you actually have to direct it and kind of figure out where you're going. Yeah, dude. Thank you very much for coming dude, on. Dude, thanks for having it. me, man. What are the socials? Oh, yeah. At Crux Crawford everywhere. So mainly TikTok and Instagram. I don't really do a lot on Twitter. So that's at C-R-U-X Crawford because there's no other name like it. You Absolutely. can find that on YouTube, too. Awesome. Crux. Thanks, dude. Thank you, sir. Good I appreciate man. it. For everyone out there watching, we appreciate it. Go support local comedy any way, shape, or form that you can. And with that said, we will see you on the next one. Next time. And there it is. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. If you enjoyed it, please head over to ImprovTX.com to check out all our upcoming shows at the Addison, Arlington, Houston, and San Antonio clubs. If you like this podcast, you might enjoy the other podcasts on the ImprovTX Comedy Network. We have The Act Out. From open mics to the big stage, comedians tell us the story they've made, where I talk to comedians from all over and chat about their journey this far. Also, check out the Black Dog Retro Arcade Podcast. Straight from the arcade, we talk about how our favorite games were made. That's right, we're talking all that video game goodness. And finally, we have Quackin' Up, a storytelling podcast where we pick suggestions from a hat and tell stories based upon them. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Please check out our social media, all links in the description. And with that, we'll see you on the next one.